Well, especially a special happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> to the mothers, to the grandmothers, and to all the wonderful motherly figures we have in our life. Thank you for not just being people who give birth, but nurture life each and every day. Uh, for me, if you know me at all, it would not be a Grace Marie message to not somehow incorporate a story about my nanny, right? And so I figure, you know, she's the mother of our whole family. She's the matriarch. We call her the queen. So I wanted to start off today telling a story about her, one that's a little bit newer and one that has really just impacted me in a whole new way. So my nanny, if you don't know, she's almost 95 years old, and I've been very close to her my entire life. Ever since I was really little, I was put in the bed with her. My grandpa and my mom and dad would go to work, and I just grew up spending so much time with them, and especially seeing her at this stage of life has been a bit difficult. She's, uh, like I said, she's almost 95 years old, and she's at the stage of life where she's, you know, declining mentally and physically, and uh, it's been really hard in our family, but one incredible thing about her is she's, she's still got her wits about her, and she's still, when she gets something on her mind, she wants that thing done. And back in probably October, early November, she got fixated on this idea around this violin. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this violin. This, this violin has always sat by her chair my entire life. It just was this old violin. It didn't have strings on it. It didn't have the pegs on it. It didn't have a bridge on it. It was just this old, beat-up violin. We, we never really asked a ton of questions about it because we didn't know a whole lot about it, but it was just kind of decor. It just kind of sat there, and maybe I would try to hit my brothers with it or something or pretend like it was a guitar when we were little, but it just kind of sat there, not necessarily treated a certain way. I'm gonna show you some pictures of what this violin lo looks like so you know what I'm talking about. So there it is. Just very beat up, old, um, always just sat there. And for some reason, back this past semester, Nanny got in her mind that that old violin needed to get fixed up. Now, a few things. One, who are we fixing it up for? Because I don't play the violin and no one else in the family plays the violin. But she kept over and over telling my mom, this violin needs to get fixed up. We gotta get it to Grace Marie. She wanted it to come to me as if I played the violin. I'm like, I don't do anything with it. And she's like, well, I want, we get it fixed up and Brett can come play the violin. Brett's on our team here and plays keys for us, which he does play. And she remembered that. And I'm like, oh man. So finally, over and over again, it had been mentioned. I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm supposed to come get this violin. I don't know what they're gonna, if they're gonna even be able to do anything to it, how much it's gonna cost. Is it gonna be worth it? All right, I'll do it. So I came I got the violin, I did some research in Columbia, and I ended up finding a guy who does restorative work on violins. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And I do a little research, try to dig around and find out some stuff about him. I find out that he's a fourth generation luthier, originally from Croatia, which I thought was cool. And he lived over in the northeast side of town. So I set up a meeting with him. I go, I sit down, I walk in with the violin, no bow, no case, nothing. I'm just like, this is really important to my grandmother all of a sudden that we get this fixed up. And I don't know why, but I just feel like I have to get this done. And so he looked it over. He talked to me a little bit about it. He talked to me about the value of it, that it was actually professional, could be played professionally if it was actually restored, that it was originally from Germany. And he started giving me this history and I was just overwhelmed. And I said, whatever it takes, we've got to get this thing restored and fixed. And he said to me, for your grandmother, we will get this done. And he said, 
you, or we want to draw this out over time. And I'm like, no, this is, this is like an emergency. Like, she's almost 95. We need a fast track. And he said, okay. So over the next couple of weeks, he worked on it really hard. And he sent me pictures along the way. And it was to my amazement when I went that day and picked this violin up. This is what it looked like, completely restored. It blew my mind to see this thing that sat there unused and really no purpose at all, all of a sudden have all this beauty in it. See, for me, the thing that really stood out to me in this whole story is that Nanny saw something that none of us saw. It was like Nanny knew something that none of us knew, and if it was up to all of us, we would have missed it, and it may have ended up in an antique shop here one of these days. The only thing we knew about it is that it belonged to her great-grandfather, and she was born in 1926. So we just knew it was this old violin, and now all of a sudden to see it completely restored, Nanny knew that there was potential there in that old violin when none of us saw it and none of us realized it. Today I wanna talk a little bit about what it means to live into your full potential. To live into the full potential which God has uniquely designed you for. And I would be pretty confident to say that I think there are some mothers and grandmothers and motherly figures in this room today that do this better than anyone else. See the potential in you when you don't even see it in yourself, amen? Anyone else here today because of a mother or a grandmother or somebody who believed in you? It's a true thing that we can grasp onto because when they, when they speak these things over us, when they see this potential in our lives that we don't even see in ourselves, it shows us the very heart of who God is. So for every scraped knee, hurt feelings, being bullied at school, broken hearts, losing our way in life and not knowing what to do, all of the words they speak to us in those moments is restoring us and giving us a hope and telling us who we were really made to be and seeing that potential in us. As I was doing some study on restoration in the Bible, which I love, love that word. I started studying it whenever I started learning about the restoration of violins. And I found this word in the New Testament. It's so interesting. It was a common Greek word um, during the times of Jesus. It was just used in everyday conversation. But here it is, this katartizo. Just bring that up casually at, at lunch today with your moms, you know, catartizo, whatever, no big deal. To restore, to mend or repair what was broken. To equip or prepare, I love this part, to make one what he ought to be. To restore, to catartizo, to make one what he ought to be. If there was an old harp shop in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and someone's granddaughter came in with an old harp from Solomon's kingdom, they would say, oh, we need to catartizo this old harp and make it new and make it what it ought to be. The very first time we see this word show up in the New Testament is in the book of Matthew. Very simply, it says this in Matthew 4.21. Jesus is walking to call his disciples and it says, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. There's our word, repair, catartizo, making it what it ought to be. They weren't gonna be able to fish and actually catch everything like they could with the nets not fully used and purposeful like they were intended to be. So they were repairing their nets. Now, with the word in mind, hear this incredible passage, the same word, and how it's used in this context in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 
The writer is writing to this group of Christians who have been struggling between what they're believing about their new faith in Jesus, but what they're believing about their old ways of Judaism, and they're kind of been in a difficult spot. And the writer ends with this prayer in this book of Hebrews. It's really, really powerful. It says this, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you. There's our word. May he restore you. May he repair you. May he take all the broken pieces. May he put you together and use you purposely. May he make you what you ought to be. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will, and may he produce in you through the power of of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Now, I would assume that most of us in this room would say, I wanna know what my purpose is. I don't wanna miss my God-given potential. Whatever God has me on this earth for, for this little bit of time, I would like to know what the point of it is, and I'd like to be used completely to the max of how God wants to use me. I wanna be someone who pleases God fully. I don't wanna just shut down and do what I wanna do, but the reality is, for some reason, we get lost along the way, don't we? We get overwhelmed, we get off track, and then all of a sudden, maybe deep down in the human heart, there is a desire to, yeah, I wanna be everything that I'm made to be. I wanna make a difference in the world, but for some reason, we struggle with things that end up hindering us. So what I wanna do this morning is this. I want us to look at some ways and some perspectives that can either help us or hinder us when it comes to fully being everything God wants us to be, fully reaching our potential. What are some things that help us or hinder us? And maybe we'll have some good mama stories and moments along the way. One of the things that I connected with my mom on at a very young age was basketball. Any basketball players in the room? I loved basketball. My mom was a basketball player. She played middle school and high school, her school. She was a point guard. She was a team captain, and she was number 11. And so when I was younger and growing up, those were all the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be number 11 like my mom. I wanted to play point guard. I wanted to become a team captain, and that's what I ended up being able to do when I made the team in middle school. It was very exciting. But my most memorable basketball game for sure is when I had to go play at her alma mater, and all of a sudden, there was this pressure. This is, oh, this is Janice Watford's daughter's coming back to play at the school. And I don't know, I was nervous about it because I'm sure she had some friends that were gonna be there watching and I think she was nervous about it and wanted the game to go good and you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while. So all this pressure was going into this game. I was only in like eighth grade. And I remember I get there and it was like this old gym with like these wooden floors. And I'm thinking, this is like not what I'm used to, but okay. And I was really nervous about it. And I get my head in the game. I'm like, all right, it's gonna, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna be able to do this. Well, unfortunately, I get out there on the court and I end up having one of the worst games I've ever had. And I'm starting to get in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm like turning the ball over. I'm missing shots. I'm getting the ball stolen from me. And I'm like trying to call the plays. I'm just a mess. And so in this moment of feeling overwhelmed and despair, I think oh, I need to look up to my mom. Maybe I'll get some encouragement because I'm like running down the court 
like kind of falling apart. Like, why is this game going so poorly? My mom always was at every game and she sat right behind where the coach was at. And so I look up to get the encouragement and to my surprise, my mom is standing and yelling at the coach, take her out, she stinks, take her out, she stinks. I love you, mama. We've, we've since had therapy to make sure we're on a good page about that. But I remember that moment being like, that is not what I needed right now. And I was really confused and I was really kind of torn up about it. But I knew, I knew she meant well for me. I needed to come out and get my head in the game. And I went back in later and it, was, it ended up being okay. But I remember after that really questioning my basketball. I was like, man, like I, that was a bad game. I got my head. I didn't do very good. And it's easy to get in our own head, isn't it? And start questioning like, am I really good at that? Should I be doing that? Maybe I should try soccer or something else. Luckily, I pushed through and played basketball all the rest of my middle school and high school, but it just reminds me how important it is the perspective we have of ourselves. The way we see ourselves matters. The way we see ourselves matters. This is an inside battle that goes on. It's an inside battle that goes on, and oftentimes in life, we can get really disillusioned. We can get really sidetracked because we get lost in our own brokenness. And we begin to ask questions like this. Maybe some of you resonate with this. Am I good enough? Am I really good enough to do this thing that God's purposed me and asked me to do? Am I worth it? Why do I keep failing? Why do I keep disappointing people over and over? Am I just too broken? Do I really have anything to contribute to this world anyways? These are the questions we begin to ask about ourselves, we begin to see ourselves through this lens and it can really throw us off. And then we start asking questions like this, well, you know, I'm not as likable as she is and I'm definitely not as talented as he is and we begin to compare ourselves and we find ourselves lost in our own brokenness in this inside battle over the way we see ourselves. A psychology study several years ago revealed that humans have over 6,000 thoughts a day on average. And then my first thought was, what are we thinking about all day? That's a lot of thinking. I was like, wow, do I think much? And they described the way they did the test, and I said, checks out, but I don't really understand it. 6,000 thoughts a day. But here's the crazy part. A study revealed that over 80% of those thoughts are negative thoughts. Over 80% of our thoughts are negative thoughts, and they're anxiety and fear-based, don't miss this, on how we see ourselves and how we fit into the world. Anxiety and fear based on how we see ourselves and then how we fit or contribute to this world. So what do we do? What do we do when we're having an inside battle of the mind and we're questioning ourselves and we're seeing ourselves in all of our brokenness? The only way to turn is to turn to, to scripture and hear what God says about us and how he sees us and to be grounded and reminded in that. It says this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Hear these words. But God is so rich in mercy. That should just make us all sigh. God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. When I hear the words of that passage and the things that I want to grab onto is to know that the mercy of God is for us. 
to accept and believe and trust and rest in the fact that we are loved by God, that we are loved by God and the work that Christ did on the cross and death and resurrection brought us life. And we can live all day squandering and thinking about what it means to be dead and broken, but the reality is it says that he came to give us life. And when I think about life, I think about purpose. I think about abounding. I think about possibility. That's what life truly is. But how can we live our life to be reminded of those things each and every day? What things are shaping the way you see yourself? Where do you get your theology about God, but where do you get your theology about self? What do you actually think about yourself when you really get down to it? For me, I truly believe that worship songs can be one of the most powerful things that shape the way we think, right? Because you have incredible melodies joined with incredible lyrics and put together, we can remember them or thinking about them. I know that when we step out of this place, I hope that many of you hold on to many of the lyrics that we sing in worship because there are things that can sustain us. That when you go and you face difficult times and you don't understand what's happening and you get lost in your brokenness and you begin to question yourself and your purpose or why God has you in a certain situation, you're gonna need to hold on to something in those moments that reminds you of who God is and reminds you of who you are. A good theology of self. For me, I started singing songs like that when I was really little because my parents had me and my brothers in the kids' choir at church. Anybody else sing in the kids' choir at church? I mean, we need to bring back more kids' choir stuff. That is, it's really important. So the kids' choir at church, I remember it like it was yesterday, being involved in this little church in Timmonsville, and we would all get up and sing before the service. We would do our songs, and they're songs that stick with you for so long, one of the songs that uh, I will never forget is I Am a Promise, okay? Now, when I was little, my mom would take the cassette tape. She would play it in her teal Astro Van. Anybody? Yes. And cassette tape for the high schoolers in the room. Ask your mom what that is at lunch. Um, but they would play the cassette tape, and we would be bopping down the road. And I, even at my age now, I remember those words. Sing it with me if you know it. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. Listen, thank you. I'm glad y'all know that. We need to bring that back. We need more kids walking down the hallway saying, I am a great big bundle of potentiality. Amen. And I am learning to hear God's voice and I am trying to make the right choice. And I'm a promise to be anything God wants me to be. Got some Baptists over here. <laughs> yes. But I remember that song. That song is instilling theology about who God is and about who you are. And it's so important to be able to ground ourselves in our hearts as we begin to lose our way and we sense the brokenness in our own self and we sense the brokenness in the world. Who is telling us who we are? Because somebody's gonna tell you. Somebody's gonna tell you who you are. I wanna be agreeing with who God is about who I am. And some of you mamas today know all about instilling this kind of music. We got the VBS CDs that come out every year. Y'all put that CD in the player. Middle schoolers, ask your mom what a CD is later at lunch, okay? You put the CD in, you're playing VBS songs the entire year until the next VBS CD comes out. Y'all are shaking your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You have it 
honor people. But here's the thing, you are instilling core beliefs and practices and understanding about who God is and about who they are in God. It's so important, it's so important. When we pick songs as a worship team, we don't just pick it because we like the music or the beat or different things going on. We think hard about what is this song saying about God? What is this song saying about us and how we can relate to God? It is so important. We sang it earlier from What a Beautiful Name. My sin was great, your love was greater. What a beautiful name. But the way we see ourselves matters. The way we see ourselves matters. It can derail us, it can distract us from the good work God wants to do in our life, but God is a God who wants to give us life full of purpose. Another perspective that can help us or can hinder us in reaching our God-given potential is the way we see our circumstances. The way we see our circumstances. Now this is, this is the outside battle stuff. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're in the middle of it. It's the outside battle stuff. It's the stuff you can't control. It's the stories and the things that are happening to you that you feel like you're absolutely under a weight and you can barely bear what is going on as you see sickness or struggle with sickness yourself. When you watch someone suffer, it's unexplainable. When you lose a job or you lose a core relationship, when you have disappointment in what you thought would be. Disappointment, that's the heavy one. That can get us. When we have, when we sense betrayal by someone who's close to us and the real kicker is when we see someone we love lost to death, expected or unexpected. These difficult circumstances can absolutely overwhelm. And let's be honest, the last thing we're thinking about in a moment like that or in a season like that is being a great big bundle of potentiality. Am I right? This is the last thing we're thinking about. We're literally trying to survive the season. We're not thinking about thriving. We're not thinking of about abounding. We're not thinking about all the ways that God's gonna use this to make things great later. We're literally trying to survive it. First Peter 5.10 has these encouraging words. It says this, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, there's our word, katartizo, he will restore. He will restore, he will make you what you ought to be. He will take all the broken pieces and repair them. He will restore, support, strengthen, and he will place you on a firm foundation. This is the God that we serve. The suffering of life, we wanna ask why, but we can't understand all the questions with that. We, uh, we just don't have the answers. We don't have the answers. Chad had an incredible message last week on suffering, and we're not gonna go too far down this rabbit trail this morning, but I will encourage you, if the subject of suffering and understanding those types of seasons of life is resonating with you this morning, I encourage you to go back and hear a full message on suffering in the world and how we handle it as we go through it and see it happen. We could feel absolutely weighed down by those seasons, and how we see them, how we see the circumstances can either help us or hinder us. 
Several years ago, my family took a trip to Yellowstone National Park. Anybody ever been there? I mean, it is like gorgeous, worth the trip, worth the money, do it. It's awesome. Yellowstone was actually the world's first national park, declared that in 1872, and that really set off um, really a domino effect for lots of other places and all across this country declaring land as national parks. It's absolutely gorgeous. My family visited in the summer, and so it was beautiful. Everything was blooming. There was, everything was lush and green. Rivers were flowing. Life was abounding all around us. It was like, what a gorgeous place to be. But there's another side to Yellowstone. And I was just watching this incredible documentary called Epic Yellowstone. And it talks about the other side of Yellowstone, which is winter. The winter in Yellowstone is absolutely brutal. They have sub-zero temps common all throughout the winter. The lowest record is negative 66 degrees Fahrenheit. I know y'all complained about that like 40 degrees this morning. Come on. Negative 66 degrees Fahrenheit. The snowfall annually in some parts of Yellowstone are between 10 to 20. You think I'm going to say inches because that would be incredible in South Carolina. No, feet. 10 to 20 feet of snow and all this snow and ice, they compact and cause major problems within the park, and so they have what they call the winter keepers of Yellowstone. Like, I can't believe I'm this old and I just found out about the coolest job on the planet. I'm like, what? So, I mean, they're talking about this in this documentary and I'm just like, this is so interesting. I'm like writing it down. I don't wanna forget this. The winter keepers of Yellowstone, look at this. They live in the park during the winter months and they work the trails, the roads, the structures. They use all these tools to remove all this ice. They wanna keep up all the historic buildings so that they don't collapse because the winter there is so brutal. It's absolutely unbearable. And this is what they said on the show. I thought this was amazing. They said the reason that these winter keepers are there is to help the park bear the weight of winter. To help the park bear the weight of winter. See, here's the reality. We will all find ourselves in seasons where it feels like we can't bear the weight. And thank God that he sends his own winter keepers. Thank God that he sends people our way to help us bear the weight of winter. And that may be a mom, a grandma, a sister, a friend, a father, a brother, a small group leader, a coworker, It could be any of those things, but the reality is, is we need people, we need community in those moments to remind us that spring is coming. Spring is coming. As these winter keepers work through Yellowstone the whole time, they're trying to keep things at a certain level. They wanna keep things up because they know that spring is coming and that's the fruitful part of the park and it'd be thousands of people and tourists that flood in and go on those roads and see the beauty that it has to offer, but they have to do the hard work of bearing the weight of winter. Pastor Jeff mentioned that We had a sudden death in our family on Friday and it's been a really hard weekend. And for a minute I was like, I'm not sure I could speak on Sunday. And then I felt felt this was a really important message. So I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. But here's, here's the thing that was the hardest probably for me. Sudden loss is always hard. 
But it was, it was the drive from Florence, I mean, drive from Columbia to Florence, Timmonsville, to my grandmother's house. And I remember I listened to this one song on repeat the entire time. And I got there and I pulled into the driveway and you see all these cars and you know, people don't gather like that anymore unless it's something, something's happened. And I remember pulling up and walking on the porch and saying to everyone, I was like, this is not the person I thought we would be gathering for that we would lose next. Here's the reality, to lose a 68-year-old uncle while his 95-year-old mother lays in the back of that house suffering every day, there's no answer to something like that. There just isn't. And I had cousins asking me, why would God do this and not take Nanny? Nanny, it's, it's time for her. I'm like, I have no answers. I have no answers to, to that kind of suffering, and I don't think anybody does. It doesn't make sense. But I remember when I got there, I went into the back, and I started playing her that song that I was listening to over and over again. And I said, Nanny, I'll play you a new song. She said, okay. And I, we're not telling her about the loss of my uncle just because it would be too unbearable for her. So no, no, everybody else was staying outside. People weren't going in the house. And so I said, I'll play you the song. I played it for her. And Nanny's at the, the point in life where she'll kind of catch on to a phrase, and that'll be her phrase, and she'll just say it kind of over and over again. So this song is a new song that Alex actually introduced me to a couple weeks ago. It's called Catch Me Singing. Great title. Catch Me Singing. And the whole thing is about going through life's difficulties and seasons of famine and then seasons of feasting and um, winters and what is God doing in the dark? He's planting things in the dark to grow into gardens, just like we sang earlier. And at the very end of the chorus, it says, you're gonna catch me singing when the springtime comes. And when Nanny heard that, guess what line she picked up on? When the springtime comes. And it would be like a minute or two later after the song was over, she would just say, when the springtime comes. I said, that's right. When the springtime comes, you're gonna catch me singing. And I thought, what a reminder. No matter what is happening in some of our difficult winter seasons, the spring is coming. And we can get lost in our circumstances and the way we're seeing all those things around us and we need to come around those people who are going through those seasons because that can truly derail us, make us wanna give up and stop. But praise God that he sends those people our way while we walk through that. The third way, which I think is a little different, so, so bear with me here, not only the way we see ourselves, the way we see our circumstances, but the way we see the future. Think about this. The way we see the future, what's going to happen. This is a belief battle. This is a faith battle. What do you actually believe is going to come? Are we just waking up and living every day until we expire and then other people just keep doing that? Or do we believe something is coming? Do we believe we are moving towards something? Because what we set our mind and heart on and believe about the then and there directly affects the here and the now. Look at these words from Acts 3. This is about Jesus who had resurrected and he had already ascended to heaven. And this is what the disciples said. He must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. All throughout the Bible, you see the theme of restoration, the final restoration of all things. What does that even mean? How can we wrap our mind around that? Revelation 21, five says it that this way, at the very end of the Bible, 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trust, trustworthy and true. That God is a God who is restoring all things. And the culmination of the end is this beautiful picture of things being restored. This is the picture we see in the life of Jesus. If you just read through the gospels, you see him healing people, every sickness, every disease, speaking life over people, calling people into purpose who've lost their way. The theme of restoration is all in the life of Jesus and his, in his ministry. It's all culminating in something, bringing people to wholeness. But let's be honest, it's so hard to wrap our mind around the restoration of all things, the kingdom coming, one devotional said it like this, and I thought this was perfect. It says, it feels more like a far off dream than a future reality. It's like trying to imagine a new color. We just don't have the framework for it. I mean, just think about that. Think about all the colors in the world. Think about the colors that are even in this room. We got colors all over the stage. You step outside in the nature, there's beauty, there's blues, there's greens, there's there's beautiful things all around us, but now someone gives you the freedom. Why don't you imagine a brand new color? We just don't have the framework for it. And that's kind of what it's like trying to wrap our minds and hearts around what it will be like then and there at the restoration of all things. But we get glimpses of it. We get glimpses of it now in stories and relationships. We get glimpses of it now as the church is at work trying to set the wrong things right in the world. And as we step into those broken places, that's what we should be about. How we see the future directly affects the here, the now. The then and the there matter to the here and now. John Eldridge says this in his new book. I thought this was a great illustration. He said, trying to imagine the restoration of all things is, is so important because of the perspective we have. We're so different when we think about what's actually coming next. He said this, you have a kid on the first week of school who knows what's right around the corner, tests, waking up early, all the homework, all the schoolwork we've gotta do for a whole school year. That kid compared to a kid on the very last day of school who knows summer break is just around the corner. Those two kids would be totally different, all because of what they know is about to come. It's about perspective. N.T. Wright says it this way in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says, living between the resurrection of Jesus and the final coming together of all things in heaven and earth means celebrating God's healing of his world, not his abandoning of it means celebrating God's healing of his world, not his abandoning of it. You see, God is restoring things in us and he's restoring the world through us and that can be true at the same time. Some of us get so overwhelmed in the brokenness and feeling like we're not together yet and we can't contribute, but I really believe that God is restoring things in us and through us at the same time. And even though we can't wrap our mind around it all, we have to anchor ourselves that it's all moving towards something. It's all moving towards something. And the way we see all of these things in our perspective will have a great impact on who we are becoming. Here's the truth that I believe is that 
there's definitely gonna be times where we get weighed down by things and we're not caught up in purpose and we're not thinking about those things and that's just, that's normal. To hit those seasons is completely normal. But how do we at the same time be anchoring ourselves and understanding the restorative work, the beauty that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us? I don't know where you find yourself today in that process or if you resonate with any of those different circumstances or perspectives that have maybe hindering you. Maybe some of you are in a season where it's helping you. But all I know is when I see restoration throughout the entire Bible, it echoes this phrase for me. You were made for more than this. It echoes the beauty of you were made for more than this. And maybe some of you have had a mama or a grandmama whisper that in your ear. You were made for more than this. Or a brother or a dad or a friend. You were made for more than this. You see, these gifts that God send us into our life, they see potential in us when we don't see it in ourselves. These are the people who are able to see the spring while in the winter. These are the people who are able to see beauty right there in the middle of all the brokenness. To know there's a purpose right in the middle of pain. And these are the people who can hear a song even in the silence. You see, I believe that Nanny could hear a song in the silence. I think when she saw it, I don't, I don't know, it was, just, it was just such an odd thing that all of a sudden this became important to her, but I think she could hear a song in that silence. And she saw potential there that none of us saw, and it's something that has opened my eyes to so many things because of it. You see, when we got that violin, restored it was so important nanny's got to see this violin and she's got to hear it and brett and i actually took a trip down to timmonsville and we spent one afternoon a few hours playing and singing for her and brett played the beautiful violin and here's the incredible part she had never heard it played until that day look at her she's smiling she had never heard it played until that day. It had only sat there, been passed down. The only person in the family that we ever knew had played it, she said, was her great-grandfather. And then all of a sudden, she's hearing the song from something that seemed useless and broken and silent. But there was a song. And this morning, I don't know where you find yourself, like I said. I don't know what your story is. But I do know that God wants to be restoring things in our own lives. And we're gonna get the gift to be able to hear this beautiful violin played. I'm gonna invite Demir out. He's the one who actually did the full restoration work on this violin. And this is what I want you to do. As you listen to the notes, as you hear this melody resonate throughout this room, I want you to be reminded of the God-given potential that lies within your own life, even when you don't see it in yourself. Let's listen. 
Did you hear it? <laughs> there was a song. There was a song in that. Even when it was silent. Wherever you find yourself today, know this. Know that the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God who has given himself up for us invites us in to this relationship with him where he longs to make you everything you ought to be. And no matter how you lose yourself along the way, know that you were made for more than this. I wanna invite you to stand. I'm gonna read the benediction for us this morning is out of Hebrews 13, the passage that we looked at earlier, but it's in the message version. I thought it was beautiful. Hear these words. May God who puts all things together, makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now, put you together, provide you with everything you need to please him and make us into what gives him the most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Oh yes, yes, yes. I hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day, thank you for being with us this morning. And as I invite you to leave, make sure to all the moms, you stop by and get your gift on the way out. God bless.